How you doing? I'm Doug Devaney, and you're listening to the Plastic Podcasts, Tales of the Irish Diaspora, Series 5, Episode 2. One of the wonderful things about editing is that it gives you almost godlike powers to cut or to paste, to emphasise or to rearrange, to give voice or to silence. I try not to let it go to my head. Actually, most of the time, I simply wrestle with my stammer to present myself as the smooth and erudite audio experience currently assaulting your lug holes. That, by the way, was take four. My guest, Geraldine Judge, is an actor and writer, as well as an outreach worker for Irish community care in Liverpool. Born in Hampshire, raised in Dublin, and now resident in Merseyside, she has two plays, the esteemed Dr Barry and her own solo performance, Obscured View, taking place as part of this year's Liverpool Irish Festival. You can find links to both on the blog page of our website, www.plasticpodcasts.com. But first, spend an hour in the delightful company of Geraldine Judge, whom I predict is about to contradict me just after I ask, how are you doing? I'm grand. I'm actually, um, in, in the theatre world, I'm known as Geraldine Maloney Judge, so I have two hats. <laughs> Do you hyphenate that then? Yeah, well, kind of. I, it's 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 some some places when it's written down, it's hyphenated. It's just Geraldine Maloney Judge, so it's my mum's maiden name. So um, you're one of six, yes. Well, my eldest brother actually lives in uh, Portsmouth. Um, he he of the Navy person. He's not in the Navy now. Obviously, left Navy many many years ago. Um, so yeah, so he he kind of I think he came back for a little spell when he left the Navy just before the Falklands. Thankfully. Um, and then he did a, a spell in, in, in Dublin and then he, he, he ends up going back to live down in that part of the world, kind of where kind of where his Navy roots are, I suppose. And then, of course, we were born in Southampton, so it's, it's um, Hampshire. Uh, so it's, he's kind of gone back to his roots. So he's been there for years now. So, yeah, my, so my all my other siblings, they, they, live, they live apart from my sister, Nuala. She lives in County Loud now. And then uh, my my second eldest brother uh, went to the dark side and lives in, on the south side, which is very wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough somebody going beyond the pale, but, you know, going to the south side of the city, you know, what's going on there? Uh, where does he live now? It's it's um, it's not turn your turn your is that's how you say it on the south side. It's turn your. <laughs> it's like, so there you go. Yeah. Where were your parents from originally? My father is from Cabra, uh, Ethna Road in Cabra, Northside. And my mother is from Joyce Road in Drumcondra. So both Northsiders. And yeah, they went like lots of other people in the 50s. Um, I think it was 56 or 57, I think. They moved to, they, they were in London first. They, they did the, the usual tramping around London, no blacks, no togs, no Irish, experienced all that and kind of did a spell in the Midlands as well. They, they, they worked in, um, oh, Warwickshire, beautiful part of the country. They, they actually worked for, my mum was, she was actually trained as being an auxiliary nurse and they both worked for the NHS. And they, they worked in like, um, I think my dad worked in a, in a, a mental hospital um, what they used to call mental hospitals then, you know, it was a, a psychiatric unit. So he was like an orderly. So, yeah, they, they worked really hard and then got married, came back, got married, went back, had five five of us. And then in 1972, they went, I know, let's take them all back to Dublin with Hampshire accents. <laughs> Just to get the neighbours talking. Just yeah, but it was weird because when we were growing up in, in Kilbarrick and in, in the north side of Dublin, there was kind of a lot of similarities. There was other families who, who um, like there was a parent who was possibly English. I remember one lad, I can't remember his name, and his mum was from Birmingham. And, the, you know, I mean, there was a lot of kind of English connections, if you know what I mean, and, and I think people had, and and of course, you know, with every single family, they, there was always somebody who had somebody in England. You had an auntie in England. I saw, you know, my all my uh, my mum's side, my her 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 brother, all sadly not with us now, and they they all moved. My I have an auntie in Liverpool, and uh, my auntie Mona, she she moved to Liverpool and again in the fifties. Um, so she was very much no, I want to be in Liverpool, very close to Dublin type of thing. Whereas my mum was like, "Oh, fuck that! I'm going further away." You know what I mean? So, 
so yeah and then we've uh, uncles in in Slough and uh, he worked in the Mars factory and in in Fulham in London so yeah there was there's always everyone had a, an auntie or an uncle or co- you know cousins there was always an English connection say and in, in growing up there was always that kind of traffic between England and Ireland, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, it, it, I remember coming up. I always remember as a child going, this is weird in this country, they spell telephone with an F, what's going on? Telephone, you know, the Irish. And and just just mad things like, um, I remember one time um, I was late for school and there was about five or six of us were all late, you know, mums were probably all stressing, you know, and... They were all like the teacher was kind of getting them in. She had them in a queue like, and why are you late? And why are you late? And she was writing the reasons down. And why are you late? And whatever they were saying, it seemed to work. But I couldn't quite make out what they were saying. And and what they were saying was slip out, slip out, slip out, slip out, slip out, miss, slip out. I didn't have it. And I just, I just went up and slept out. What was that, Geraldine? Slip out, miss, slip out. They were saying I slept it out. I slept in and they say I slept it out and I couldn't. And then I remember, <laughs> again, it was the first few years knocking on somebody's door Saturday evening is Tommy Moore coming out to play. Tommy Moore was always out in all weathers with a football. Sounds are coming out to play. I've been knocking on all the doors on Saturday night. It sounds are coming out saying, no, they're getting battered. They're getting battered. I'm going back home to me. Mum, mum, all the kids are getting battered. What's going on? They weren't getting battered. They were getting bats. Bats. They were having their Saturday night bat for a mass for our next day for our Sunday. You know what I mean? So it was just, and then my 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 second eldest brother, oh, he was a case. He had the strongest Hampshire accent going. And then he ended up because he 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 got into a bit of a, you know, he was like hanging around with not the not the naughty boys, and he'd be standing there on the on the, you know, with his hands and post, yeah, yeah, what's going on? I'd be looking at him going. Something wrong with him? What's what's going on with him? Why is he talking all funny like that? You know, yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, we don't play football, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he had and even now when you listen to him talk now, you can still hear a slight Hampshire twang. My mum's two brothers again, sadly not with us, Henry and Andy, and you know to talk about chalk and cheese. Uh, Henry, they they lived. He they both married um, again Irish women. Um, Henry married Auntie Mary, God rest her. She was from Waterford. And then Andy married Breda and she was from Tipperary. But Andy was like, oh, Jay's good. Hello, you know what I mean? But Henry was very, hello, how are you? <laughs> like you're saying about you, but they were very kind of very different, but, but still kind of very, very proud of their roots and, and very much Irishmen. And you know, you know what I mean? Um, it's fascinating when you when you hear like how people's accents become, and then people go, I, I, where, "Where are you actually from? Are you are you Irish or?" Oh yeah, and then it's weird when you're talking to people that, oh god yeah, I can hear a little bit of the lilt now, and then other people other people are like, no, you you're not you know you're not scouts at all you're totally Irish I I you know and people, people, sometimes I get sometimes I get a little bit offended people say oh you've never lost your accent I go yes I have <laughs> and it's not because I don't want to it's just you you know what I mean I just I, I like I like the sound of how I am when was it that you felt that you were part of Dublin rather than just like being a girl over from Hampshire I think again this is my I mean I've always you know always. Uh, growing up because obviously mum and dad are, are, are dubs you know what I mean and, and like I'm being on the north side and it, it was always <clears throat> it was always a thing and I think in the GAA you know when Dublin were were um, uh, apart from this year the, the curse was lifted apparently um, you know that that was a that was a fierce kind of pride thing of, of being a dub Roddy Doyle wrote a really interesting article for the in Dublin magazine um, on the back of Italia 90. And it's why I owe Big Jack the price of a pint. And it was almost like he he helped me rediscover my nationality, my love of being Irish. And I, I suppose in a way, I think Italia 90 did did do that for a lot of people. Um, and that's kind of what what and, and, and on the back of that, I've written a one woman show about 
how my love affair with football began. I mean, we we had, you know, I I've grown up with brothers who are massive Liverpool fans. So, you know, that was always prevalent in our household, but I just wasn't really into football. But when Italian 90 happened, and, and I think there's like the 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 article that, that Roddy Doyle wrote, and he was saying, um, you know, Ireland was a foreign country to us. Ireland is where you went on holiday to your auntie. You know, Ireland was was something else. It was it was the Eurovision Song Contest. It was Dana. It was it was something. It was um, you know, all the twee little things. It was it was the the Moira Nimoria, the continuity announcer on RTE. They were from Ireland. We were from Dublin. We were very different. You know what I mean? And and I, I think like over the years when, you know, I, I was kind of, I suppose in a way, because, because I was so, because I was bullied when I, when I came over to Dublin and, you know, I used to get horrendous things, you know, you're an English bitch, you're an English pig. England is a stupid country. And even some of the teachers were, 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 they were you know, they, they, they were subtle in their kind of anti-English way, you know what I mean? And it, I suppose like growing up, it, there was almost like this pull between, you know, and I think my mum's experience of growing up in Ireland, as opposed to her sister's experience, because like when her sister went to Liverpool, like, so you walk into my auntie Mona's house and it's JFK, the Pope, it's you're walking into an Irish household, whereas like my mum in, in, in England, I mean, there was a picture of the Sacred Heart, but it, she, you know, we were proud of our Irishness, but it wasn't like, rammed in your face or it wasn't like a big I am Irish type of thing you know what I mean um and it's just interesting that I remember just kind of I'm kind of going back and forth now but there was a there's a there was a black and white photograph of all of us out in Southampton and I think you know in the good old-fashioned days when people used to write to each other and send photographs in the post and there's this black and white photograph of us in Southampton which I think my mum had sent somebody had sent to her from Ireland but there's, there's all, it's like, I said, oh, what happened this, when my mum spoke, did, were you smoking when you were holding this? No, no, no. She said, they used to burn the mail. They used to burn the Irish mail in the post office um, as kind of an act of retribution if there was a particular bombing or whatever had gone on. And they, you know, there was an Irish postmark, they, they would start burning it. You know what I mean? Like, as a kind of way of like, you know, we're getting our own backing type of thing, which, which is quite sad, really. You know, you know what I mean. So, it's 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 a difficult one. It's a funny one because because again, there's this so there's so much. I don't know if there's the right word symmetry between England and Ireland. We're very very similar, but we're very very different. You're listening to the Plastic Podcasts. We all come from somewhere else. Find us on Facebook. Twitter or Instagram. We often say that members of the Irish diaspora lead a dual existence, but in Geraldine's case, that's literally true. As Geraldine Maloney judge, she is a fine writer and actor, as we've established. But as Geraldine judge, she's an outreach worker for Irish community care in Liverpool, a service that covers everything from housing applications to training opportunities to social events for the Irish, Irish Gypsy and traveller communities. I want to know how she got started on this part of her life. I was a community parent, breastfeeding support volunteer in in the Anfield area. Community parent, it was a, it was a volu- voluntary role. It was um like it was it was kind of run through Shore Start in the good old days. And we had Shore Start, we had Shore Start family centres. So I I was living in the Anfield area, and I had two young boys, and I was would access the the, the, the play groups, the stay in play groups. They were a great lifeline. And they had a program, a community parent program, which was like mentored by um, a midwife and a health visitor. And it was the, the idea was that you would set up this network of community parents to support other parents, particularly if they were new to the area and they didn't know what what services were available to them. So you would befriend them. And you would probably accompany them to like the stay and play, the mum and toddler groups, the coffee mornings all the different things. And then it was a re- really good, um, we, we got like training, we got first aid training, we did loads of different aspects of training, which was great. And it was, in, and like I've, in, when I was in Dublin, I was a volunteer with the Dublin Simon community for a couple of years when I was, when I turned 18. So it's something that I've always want, you know, kind of that kind of work. I really, I am interested in alongside obviously training to be an actor and acting and stuff like that. So then I was, um, 
I was in one of the show start centres and um, Marie Harris, she was terrific. She's a midwife. She's retired now. She was like one of our mentors. She she coordinated the programme and she said, come here, look at this. This is a really good job for you. And there was a, it used to be like a, a little spinny thing with all different jobs. And she said, oh, there's a job there. And she said, that'd be ideal for you. And it was, it was a, at this time, it was part-time working specifically with the Irish travellers um, and it was Irish community care. So I thought, oh God, I went in the old the old fashioned way. Got in the car, went and got the, uh, the the application form, filled it all out, hand wrote it, and then hand delivered it the next day into the office, and then got an interview. And uh, there was I think it was five of us were interviewed, and I was the last one. And um, so I, I yeah, so <laughs> so I got the job. So that was seventeen and a half years ago. So obviously my role has developed over the years, and I'm full time now. I'm still an actor, by the way, <laughs> um, and I, I, I actually as well. I, I still do frontline work, but I, I line manage other frontline staff as well and, and supervise staff. Um, so we work with anyone who's Irish, Irish descent, Irish traveller, Gypsy, Roma Gypsy. Um, so we we work right across we like right across Merseyside, but we also uh, we have a, a a base in Wigan as well, and we do operate kind of. Uh, Cheshire as well. Uh, we we have a drop in service in the well. We don't do drop in now, but um, appointment system in the Cheshire area as well. West Cheshire and branching into East Cheshire. Why do you think there's a need for specifically Irish community care? Because I think because a lot of you know again you know there's there's a massive Irish vein running through Liverpool, Merseyside, and beyond. Um, and I think because because of people's lived experiences and it's 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 traditionally and it's it's you know it, it, it's the statistics proven about you know um people with mental health issues people with poor physical health um and it and it, it just it just go back to our, our kind of genetic makeup or our ethnicity i suppose and and it's also about people being able to feel comfortable speaking to another organization where they feel that they're understood or they, they, their, their culture and their background is is understood, and, and they they have a voice. They have, they can they've got a platform where they can feel comfortable speaking to people, because I think a lot of the times over the years, but and and you know working with the Irish travellers community quite a lot, and um, there's there's a lack of understanding uh, about people's backgrounds and culture and and how the dynamics of how their families work and um, and and a, a fear and an ignorance as well. Um, with with I suppose with with people from very different backgrounds to to what people here are are used to, so I suppose it it, it would be the same as like we've got like the Caribbean Centre here in Liverpool Lakes, you know it's it's where I think people can come and and feel safe and a part of the community and understood if that makes sense. Yeah, I was just thinking to like uh, I'm wondering whether or not ICC is a particularly uh, northwestern or even northern thing or other organizations you're aware of that do this around the country there is yeah there's i mean again in london there's Bir- birmingham there's 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 um sully oh, sandwell irish society again they like they would offer advocacy and support again in, in london there's this brentford irish there's lots of different and they, they may or may not be attached to an irish center i mean we work in partnership with liverpool irish center because um, initially Irish Community Care were in the old Irish centre in Mount Pleasant and then we moved to premises on Duke Street and now we're on premises on Dale Street but um, and obviously the Liverpool Irish centre moved out of Mount, uh, Mount Pleasant and now they're in St Michael's on Boundary Lane but we work in partnership with 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 St Michael's with the, with the Liverpool Irish centre so I think a lot of like Irish organisations around Britain probably they may have the welfare support advocacy advice based in an Irish. It just depends on on what's available, what resources are available, building wise, rent wise, resources funding that kind of thing. I mean, in an ideal world, it'd be great if 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 we, if we kind of were under the same roof, different organisations, but in under the same roof, um, that would that would be great and like. You know, everyone's oh, whatever happened to the old Irish centre? People still, people still. Again, it's you know, you kind of wonder where where people's heads are at. They kind of go, oh, the Irish centre's been closed for years, hasn't it? And so, well, no, actually, the Irish centre is still up and running, but it's in a different venue, and it has been for God, and it must be coming up for nearly twenty years. So, so that's 
that's Irish Community Care. So, so if anyone needs any support, please give us a call 0151 237 But it also brings me time to a couple of things that I, I find interesting because you're, you're involved in the arts as well as the social side of things. There's uh, an issue at the moment about, uh, say, for example, getting funding for, um, for projects that are specifically about the Irish in Britain. Um, because they're not seen as a kind of separate ethnicity in the same way that uh, other other ethnicities are. Irishness simply becomes a kind of a uh, kind of semi-Britishness, semi-white other, semi-sort of other thing that isn't quite its own own ethnicity, which means that it's uh, increasingly problematic for for projects that, that 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 look at the notion of Irishness in Britain. And I wonder whether that's kind of the same really with regards to say Irish community care and trying to get funding there. Um, no, I think well, I mean, a lot of our funding actually comes from the Irish government, weirdly enough. And then over the years, we've had different strands of funding, say, from we've had um, we've had like a criminal justice. So we had an opening doors project where we're working with uh, in reach outreach people in and out of prisons, uh, the criminal justice system, supporting people in prison and when they come out of prison. And that was funded through um, TSB. Um, and then we've also had, again, pots of funding through Liverpool City Council, um, the NHS, you know, and, it, you know, again, it's 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 obviously for some of my colleagues, you know, uh, Reid McDade is the director of Irish Community Care. Uh, the majority of her job is is like literally looking for funding and doing funding applications and, and obviously then running the whole organisation and, and keeping a steady helm. So it's it's it, yeah, it's it's interesting about, you know, people's perception of, of the, you know, the Irish as, as a, a distinct ethnic minority and 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 people again people kind of go you know don't get into a row on Facebook I was talking about my experiences about anti-Irish racism and then somebody went you can't know you're Irish you can't experience racism because you're Irish and I went whoa hang on a minute there no you can experience sectarianism but you can't experience racism because you're not a distinct race but then the actual definition of racism when you look at the definition of racism it's about you know if anyone who's who's been singled out because of their their nationality their ethnicity it, it isn't about particularly a race and when you look at the definition of racism again people kind of they they like i spoke to a guy i did a play with him uh two years ago and he worked he worked with them the white chocolate center who we do a lot of partnership work they, they they're an organization that supports people who are homeless at risk of becoming homelessness homeless and then um, he was like oh i didn't realize that irish people were classed in that way oh I didn't know there was a anti-Irish racism in Liverpool. And you go, but you you work with Whitechapel, where unfortunately we've got a lot of um, you know Irish people coming over. They escaping paramilitary violence, escaping gang violence, or domestic violence, or issues at home, drug issues, and they've they've had to come over and and they've ended up unfortunately on the streets here, here in 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 the in Merseyside and Liverpool. So get you know it, it's it's interesting how. People don't don't get it, and like well, I, I'm I'm always a you know people kind of look at me and go, what are you talking about, Geraldine? I go, I'm not white, I'm Irish, and and I said that very loudly and publicly at, at a conference or a meeting with lots of um, Merseyside police, and one of the the police officers, she's quite high up, she's from the north of Ireland. She went, yes, Geraldine, I actually agree with that. I perceive myself to be that way too. And whenever, you know, you're ticking, you know, the, uh, what, what do you call, you know, when you go for male, female, sexuality, ethnicity. And of course, when it's Irish, it's, it's always under the white thing. And, and it just, no, it's because again, you know, there's lots of people who are Irish who aren't white. I know people go, yeah, you are white, but there are, obviously there are black, there are Chinese, there are, you know, there are Asian, there are, you know, we have Muslim Irish people. It's, it's, it's just, and um, you know we can't be put in a box, and it, and and it's great now when you see um like the like you know a lot of a lot of the 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 Olympics team and, and the athletes and they come from a from a, a, a black background and they're Irish and it, it's just so wonderful to see it's 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 amazing. But I think again, you know, when you look at the flip side of things and and you you get really. Irish people who are really racist towards um, non-nationals, so to speak, uh, and and they they use really offensive racist terms. And you go, hang on a minute, let's look at our history here. Remember the no blacks, no dogs, no ah no, that was different. That was different. How is it different? 
how is it different? Please tell me. So again, you know, we, 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 we have to educate each other and we're still learning and we, we, we still, we've all got prejudices. We've all had perceptions of other, other communities, other people, how, how people live, how people work. And sometimes we go like, you know, I'm not particularly fond of such and such and such, but you know, let's live and let live here, you know? Um, so anyway, <laughs> I'm rambling again. <laughs> Love a bit of a ramble. We'll be back with Geraldine Judge in a moment. But first, it's time for The Plastic Pedestal, that part of the podcast where I ask one of my interviewees to raise up and salute a member of the diaspora of personal, cultural or political significance to them. This week, author Pauline Nevins, who's keeping her pedestal in the family. That's on a personal level. That's my my son-in-law's mother, whose parents on both sides uh his grandparents on both sides were, were Irish, one Irish Catholic, the other Protestant. Uh, and she, I, just a wonderful person. She just celebrated her 88th birthday. Uh, her, her name is uh, Mary Pat. And uh, she, uh, she does not, she recently expressed to her son, she really doesn't want to define by this particular occurrence in her life, but at age six, she contracted polio. And like in those days, the iron lung was the way you treated this. Uh, so she was in an iron lung for quite a long time. Uh, and then she was on crutches and on braces. And uh, She has the most wonderful positive attitude. I have not seen a photograph of her when she isn't smiling. And she went, despite the disability, she went to college, got a degree, taught school for 20 years. And there was a particular incident when she was teaching school at this elementary school, just across from where she was, they had what they called in those days, the crippled children's school. And one of the children was absolutely amazed when they saw her and they said, you're a teacher? That was such a surprise that this young person, I don't know what their physical disability was, but for that child to see someone who had a physical disability was teaching school. And I thought, you know, what a wonderful role model. She probably didn't realize and still doesn't how many people she inspires just, just by her attitude, her positive attitude, and the fact that she wasn't defined by polio and was able to get a degree, raise children, and is very active to this day, you know, very much involved socially, does a lot of Zoom stuff. And so she was the person that came to mind for me. Pauline Nevins there. And if you want to hear more of what Pauline has to say, or indeed any of our previous interviewees, simply go to our episodes page at www.plasticpodcasts.com, also available on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Now back to Geraldine Judge, or rather, Geraldine Maloney Judge, as she's known in theatre and film. In this section, we talk about how she started acting as a school student in Dublin, how it led her to Liverpool, and her two shows for this year's Liverpool Irish Festival, the esteemed Dr Barry, and her self-penned solo show, Obscured View, a passion project about another passion. But first, getting started. Um, I started kind of um, through Roddy Doyle, weirdly enough, because he was, he was our English teacher and, and he used to do, um, he used to write simplified versions of King Lear and Wuthering Heights that were on, they were on the syllabus for our leaving certificate, like equivalent to A-levels. So King Lear is a notoriously difficult play. So, uh, Roddy Doyle, um, there was also another teacher there called Paul Mercer, who founded an excellent company called the Pash Machine Theatre Company. So they were all in UCD together and they were all like theatre heads and, you know, and then Roddy Doyle was inspired by Paul Mercer to write his own stuff. So, and then, so, uh, Mr. Doyle, Roddy Doyle, I sometimes say Mr. Doyle because sometimes it feels weird saying Roddy Doyle, <laughs> Mr. Doyle. Um, he wrote a... I, we, I'd done a play with Paul Mercier, um, an Irish language play for the Sloga Arts Festival. 
which is great. And that 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 kind of got me. I I, I was always interested in acting. I'd done like bits of drama at primary school, and then um, when we got into secondary school, so I, I did slogan the 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 year I was doing my insert, and then went went back into the senior fifth year, and Roger Doyle was was had rewritten a version of King Lear to make it easier. <laughs> And we did it and we performed it and, and we it was great. We had great crack. It was really good. I played Goneril, one of the Doras, and it was just it was just a hoose. And then they had there was this thing called the Dublin Shakespeare. There was the Dublin Shakespeare Society, which I ended up doing plays with through Dublin Youth Theatre, because they they they've got a really good close relationship because they're around the corner from each other in Northside Dublin, Garden Street, where DYT unfortunately are now not there anymore. And the, the Dublin Shakespeare Society were based on North Great Georgia Street. So and they they ran this school Shakespeare festival every year. So <laughs> Rocky Doyle goes, should we enter it for a laugh? You know what I mean? You know, we'll be up against all the posh convent schools and the Christian Brooks schools. You know, all the all the middle class who hear Henrys and doing their Romeo and Juliets and all that. Should we? Yeah, let's enter it. And we entered it. <laughs> and we got we got best play. I got best actor. <laughs> One of the lads had designed, uh, there was a uh, there was a poster design competition and Derek Downs, I always remember his name, and he designed a poster for Hamlet and that got an award and the two lads playing Lear and the Fool got an award and, you know, and then we got invited to schools to... to, to <laughs> and then during that time, Mr Doyle, Roddy Doyle and Paul Mercier brought in people that they like, um, Veronica Coburn, she's, she's an actor, a uh, theatre director, and she does a lot of work with youth theatre now. And she came in and did workshops with us. And she introduced us to Dublin Youth Theatre and National Youth Theatre. And so then I joined Dublin Youth Theatre. And then I did a couple of shows with the National Youth Theatre. And then I trained with the Gacy School of Acting. And I worked with Rough Magic Theatre Company a couple of times. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of how it... And then, as I say, my my cousin here in Liverpool was was doing... She, she did this amazing course called Acting Out at the Everyman. She was a sign language interpreter. And she was kind of grappling around for something to do. And she was kind of trying to find a way. So she did that. And then she was visiting us. And she went, there's a course over there. It's absolutely fantastic. You'll be ideal for it. Because she came to live in Dublin for a while. And she came to see me a couple of plays. And then she went back and she did that. So I had to go and pretend to live in Liverpool. So that's why I ended up moving to Liverpool. Because I I got a place on on the acting out. And that was 30 years ago. So, yeah. So over the years, like I've done, uh, you know, still still worked professionally in and out you know in between having children and doing other jobs and different things but I've always it's it's always like that's first and foremost that's that's my that's my kind of role as I know I work full-time for Irish Community Care and I I absolutely am so grateful for a full-time job I really am and I love my job and it's great it's a lot of challenges and um, so yeah so I've kind of got two careers two hats there you go and uh, so yeah so I'm going to be all being well pandemic please god don't destroy us again um going to be performing in two plays for the liverpool irish festival one of them is a my one woman show called obscure view which is about how my love affair with football began in italia 90 so uh yeah and the other play is it's a play called the esteemed dr barry um it's about this famous doctor who came from cork and she was the first doctor to perform a cesarean section where both mother and child survived and because at the time um women weren't allowed practice medicine so she had to pretend to be a man so she took her mother's maiden name i play the mother which was barry so she she was known as dr barry so it's 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 all about her kind of journey um really really good play written by a woman called carol mcginn who wrote a play that I did at a previous Liverpool Irish Festival about Kitty Wilkinson, uh, who obviously we know, Queen of the Slums, uh, the first public wash house in Liverpool. Again, I played I played the mother <laughs> in that. So yeah, so yeah, so that's that's so I yeah that my my monologue talks about lots of like it's, it's Liverpool and Ireland and going to the World Cup in '94. I went over to the States. Um, and just like again, you know, experiencing being with all my my cousins from Dublin, and like you're not, you're no, you're a Scouser, you're not really Irish, you know. But then you know, hey, John Aldridge scores a goal, way that got through to the next round. But he's he's a Scouser, you know. Um, so all that 
silliness to talk about those experiences. And then uh, um, I didn't go to the World Cup in 2002, but I, you know, the whole Roy Keane getting sent home, I kind of do a little bit about that. And then I talk about also um, sectarianism and stuff like that and just talk about kind of funny going back to the the Italian 90s stuff and um, kind of Ireland's awakening. And I use I use the 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 expression shame ridden tricolours now no need to hide um, almost because there was um there was a horrific incident. It was when Ireland were beating Italy in the 1994 World Cup, and there was there was several people were 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 murdered. It was a sectarian killing while they were watching that particular match in Loch Shinny, I think, uh, in Northern Ireland, and um, Protestant gunmen came in and, and shot them while they were watching that match. And it's it's kind of like that that again flip side of of you know. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's hard to describe because it, when you watch the piece, it kind of explains it, if if that makes sense. So I talk about that, and then I also do a little section about, which is again all the experiences and my own experiences, but um, about a girl who wasn't allowed to watch the game, the nineteen sixty six World Cup, simply because she was a girl. She had, she got sent to her room, so then do a bit of artistic license. She ends up on the pitch, and it's all a bit mad. And then we we bring it back to reality, and then I I finish off with a, a whole section on um, my experience when I went to Istanbul to watch Liverpool win the Champions League in 2005 so yeah and it just kind of in between peppers just like little incidences of of when I experienced anti-Irish racism or you know people saying to me what are you doing coming over here supporting Liverpool an English club you know you Irish bastards coming over here supporting Liverpool and then I list all the names of the Irish players that have played for Liverpool (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it's just uh, I, I obviously I, I speak about Hillsborough and you know about how it impacted us in as you know Dublin and make reference to the Stardust tragedy and um, the nightclub you know in, in 1981 and, and and kind of the, the the similarities between the two horrific events and how people were treated and, and people still fighting for justice and trying to get answers and trying to have closure on, on what happened on those awful events you know, and the impact it has on people, and and I think just just the kind of again the 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 sense of camaraderie between the two cities, between Dublin and Liverpool, and their kind of empathy for an understanding of each other because of those two particular events, which you know uh, you know affected people on both sides. You know, when 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 Hillsborough happened, you know, it, it impacted greatly uh, on. Sorry, I'm getting a bit, getting a bit emotional now. Um, on, on, on a family as a, as a footballing family, because you know my my brothers would sometimes go and watch away games. Um, so that was, and then obviously when when the Stardust when the Stardust tragedy happened, it it just, it was. It was it was horrendous, and I explained to people about, you know, think about the impact of what Hillsborough had when that happened on the city of Liverpool, and it, it was the same thing in Dublin. I just remember waking up the next morning, and the news was filtering through. Cause no mobile phones, no laptops, no computers, um, and I just remember everyone. It was it was a it was a dull. It was a black. There was like a black cloud in the sky. And it was all, everyone was just walking around going, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's horrendous. So and it was weird because I, I moved to Liverpool two years after the Hillsborough disaster. And and it was, you know, obviously it's still it's still a raw open wound, as is, as is the stardust. And, you know, you're driving around and you get on the bus and you're seeing the Hillsborough disaster advice centre. And it, and it just kind of hits you the reality of, of you know, remember watching that event unfold on television and this is it this is the reality of it and and then meeting people over the years and um, two really lovely people I've met Peter Carney who, who used to run the, the football arts initiative and he, he does tours around he survived it and my friend Naomi she's from London originally and um she you know she got literally pulled out of the crowd and the guy that pulled her out went Jesus how did you how, how are you still alive love um so just and then meet you know meeting people who who were there and and my own partner, he he was there as well. Um, he wasn't in the Leppings Lane then, but he went with um 
there was a group of them, like, you know, you, you get a group of people and some people you don't know that well and they get in the car with you and they, they all go together and, and one of their their party sadly didn't go home with them. So that, you, you know what I mean? So that that whole impact of of, of that and, and living with someone and, and it's just... Anyway, I'll, 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 get, I'll start getting dead emotional or angry or... <laughs> but please come and watch it the 27th of October at the... It's the called the Music Room in the Philharmonic uh, Hall on Hope Street. I think I'm not sure. I was looking. I don't know whether the actual program has been launched yet on on the website. I'm not too sure, but I'll I'll make sure you get all the information. If, yeah, yeah. You're listening to the Plastic Podcasts: Tales of the Irish Diaspora. Email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com. It's a joy to chat with Geraldine Judge, and one of the sad responsibilities of editing is having to take the hour and a half that we spend talking and whittle it down to 45 minutes. But that's a format for you. In this last section, we discuss family, the confusion still created by Brexit, and how her Irishness has inspired her work. You'll also get to hear a moment when I stammer my way through a question that goes nowhere just to prove that editing isn't simply me playing God. There's, there's a lot of, uh, again, we, we you know, it, it, in work, after Brexit happened, and it was still happening, um, a lot of people were very worried and very concerned. And, and we, you know, you've got some older Irish people who've lived here for years and they were really worried. Am I going to get deported? Um, do I, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? Or it's, it's, do, do I have to prove my, my Irishness or do I have to, do I have to prove that I've lived here for 40, 50 years and I've paid my stamp and I've worked for the NHS or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And then on a, on a kind of a lighter note, there's a very good friend of mine here in Liverpool. He's, he's so funny. He, every time he sees me, he goes, you've not been fucking deported yet, but it's a real tongue in cheek because he's, he's like very much, you know, not of that ill, but you'd be amazed like working through the benefit system. And, and again, you know, one piece of information, incorrect information, can cause so much upset and anxiety and 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 heartache, and there's no need for it. Like we've had people going through the but coming over from Ireland and going to claim benefits, and they've been told, no, you've got to do the three months. Um oh, what's the words? Because I've not been in work for two weeks, I can't remember these things. Um it'll come to me but you know you have to wait three months before you can claim because because you're a european national and and then you go no 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 there's the common agreements between england and ireland we can work freely we can travel freely we can come backwards and forwards and, and claim benefits that's that's you know you know it's it's in the irish constitution the irish embassy have put out a statement about this go on the irish embassy's website we've had to re-educate people working in the department of work and pensions who've been telling irish people that they can't claim benefits for a certain period of time because they're europeans so to speak Oh yeah, it's it's just uh, yeah there's a lot of scaremongering out there and a lot of ignorance and nonsense and then you know somebody who's probably has not had a great education and say who's who's probably just worked in in say as a laborer for 40 50 whatever years and they haven't got that much education or understanding and they're getting told this and it, it can put the frightness up people and make people really stressed cause unnecessary stress there's just no need for it because somebody in their head goes oh because of Brexit, Irish people, they're Europeans, they can't do this and they can't do that. And again, it's it's ignorance, lack of understanding, lack of training, lack of, I don't know, forethought, whatever. I'm rambling again. <laughs> I'm having a rant. Feel free. It's, it's a place to rant. Uh, last three questions, I think. Ooh. And one is um, that I was going to ask whether or not um, having this sense um, of... Uh, both having been like a born in England, raised in Ireland, coming over to Liverpool, being Irish and English and so forth, whether that's actually been part of being an actor and a writer, whether that's that's kind of informed you in in as much as um, not having that like having an identity, but something that's kind of perceived by others as being somewhat fluid. What am I answering? <laughs> 
do you think that being a member of the Irish diaspora influenced you actually becoming an actor? Um, I don't know. I, I think it certainly helped over the years because, I mean, you know, you look at the, 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 the kind of artistic cultural history of Irish, particularly Dublin. Like, I'm a massive Sean O'Casey fan. Um because I, I think, I, I, again, I think it was how I was brought up. Again, I, I kind of harp on about this. And, you know, when you come from a working class background and people, again, make a perception that you're not um, culturally informed or artistically informed. Like I grew up in a household that, that you know, my, my dad's side of the family, they were big, massive opera buffs. They loved opera. And my, and my brother loves opera and classical music. And we were brought up for a love of theatre. And, and my mother and father were, they, you know, they used to listen to oh, Casey plays on the wireless in the old days so that like love of theatre has always been very rich and very vibrant within within my family so I suppose I've been quite lucky in that way and I, I absolutely love I mean I love Shakespeare and I, I love I love plays and I love I love American playwrights different things so I suppose yeah and it, it, it is a big mesh and melt of things and I think yeah maybe maybe having those experiences does does help um, being a creator and being a, being a writer, being an actor, whatever. It, I, yeah, an answer to your question, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. We shall take that. Thank you. I ramble on. But also, then, uh, speaking of your family and so on, and uh, when we were doing the preamble to this, we, we talked about how your brother joined the Royal Navy and would wear his, um, his, his trickler or his GAA shirt while running around the frigate for the Navy and then come back to Dublin in full naval uniform. Full, full naval uniform. <laughs> Is that typical of your family? <laughs> but again, there was there was like you know there was lots of lots of lads in from like Eamon Farrell, him and Eamon Farrell joined the navy, the Royal Navy. There was there was lads joining the British Army, joined the Irish Army as well, and the Merchant Navy, the Irish Navy. There, there was a lot of lads were you know traditionally went off and joined the British Armed Forces. Um, over the years uh, and he was my brother was so so lucky he left just before the Falklands he, he left he spent six years in the Royal Navy he had no passport but saw the world um but yeah he and, and then when he joined the Navy he was taken into a room and was told that he didn't have to swear allegiance to the Queen and then my my youngest son um for a brave brief period wanted to join the army and he did he, he was squaddy at 16 and he but he only stayed six months Thank God for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Both both my sons have had they they've had their Irish passports when they were younger, and so now now of course when Brett they were like, Mom, Mom, we need to get our Irish passport again. I went, I know, yeah. <laughs> so, and it, it's interesting in, in like the next generation. I mean, I will never like fight, you know. My, my sons will probably disagree and go, yeah, you 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 make us Irish, mum. You want us to be Irish, don't you? Like, oh, of course, I want someone you are Irish. You know what I mean? So, um, I think Joe at one point, my eldest son, he was he was trying to tick other ethnicity and he couldn't see it anywhere and he was really annoyed. I wanted to tick the other one and and the, for some reason they didn't have it on this particular. I did something to do with COVID. He was filling out something and he was really annoyed. He was gone. I want. I think he, he's a bit like me. He didn't want to tick white Irish. He wanted to tick other. <laughs> so that's brilliant. Did your brother catch a lot of flack at home for? No, I think there was a fascination because I'll tell you why. Because um, do you remember the Bond film? Is it The Spy Who Loved Me? They used his frigate a lot. They filmed, they did a lot of filming around that. And then on the closing credits of The Spy Who Loved Me, you can see this little figure on the deck, and that's my brother. <laughs> so so he was like, because I was telling all my friends, you know, your kids, you, you tell ridiculous lies to your friends, you know. And, yeah, he's he's met Roger Moore and he's you know blah blah blah. <laughs> so of course when Brendan's come home and he's walking up the road and they're all like, Oh, you're a film star, you've been in the James Bond film, you know. <laughs> you know, I think it's I I don't know, I I don't don't think we did know um he did particularly say because there was there was so many other families who had the lads joining the armed forces, so it it wasn't it wasn't a, a an uncommon thing, really. You know, in, interesting. I mean, there was probably run people were probably saying things, or probably my mum probably heard things, but kept it from us. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Possibly, I don't know. 
And the final question, which is the one I ask most of my uh, interviewees, which is what does being a member of the Irish diaspora mean to you? Oh, I'm just I'm so proud of being Irish. I'm I'm just I I get I don't know. I just I feel quite unique and I feel quite special. And I feel I'm, I'm I'm in a I'm in a really special organization or a special club. Um quite a unique membership, you know, quite I feel quite elite. <laughs> that sounds really snobby and really posh. But it's just, you know, when like when I mean I don't like boxing per se, and this is a few years ago, my I'll give you a laugh. Um and Katie Taylor was was going for gold in the Olympics. And um you know, and I would say, I, I got on the telly and Mike's going, come on, Stan, watch this, your fellow countrywoman, she's, you know, she's gone for gold, blah, blah, blah. And I go, I don't like boxing. And like, like after 30 seconds, apparently, this is Mike's impersonation of me. Come on, come on, you, come on, fucking come on, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on, yeah, yeah, up the road, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like jumping up and down and I was like, I had got my tricolor out and it was like, yeah, Katie Taylor, yeah. <laughs> So it was, and then like when I went to Dublin, um, where my mum lives, she lives in the city centre. Um, the 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 young lass that won the gold for Kerry Harrington, um, she doesn't live too far. So there's all these big posters. So I took some pictures of me in in the background, you know, congratulations and Cave Mila Fulcher and I was, and it's just just like a, a a burning pride. I think just really proud to be. To be Irish, really, really proud. Um, you know, Ireland's got its flaws. You know, we've 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 got our we've got our skeletons in the cupboard. We know that. You know, the institutional abuse and very, you know makes people a lot angry. And and you know, I think our Irish people over the years have put up have been dealt unfortunate blows a lot of the time, and have have had to have had to put up with a lot of nonsense and abuse and crap. But, you know, we come out the other side smiling and, and we, we kind of still stand up on our pedestal and go, we're here and we're here to stay. And I think, you know, we, we, we've brought so much wealth in, in, in terms of like culture and arts and medicine, sports, music, Jesus, uh, you know, to, to so many corners of the earth. And, and I think, you know, I think the world would be a very dull place without Irish people. And when God made God on the seventh day, he didn't rest. He made the Irish to keep everyone happy. <laughs> You've been listening to The Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney, and my guest, Geraldine Judge, a.k.a. Geraldine Maloney Judge. The Plastic Pedestal was provided by Pauline Nevins and music by Jack Devaney. Find out more about us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com. The Plastic Podcasts are a production of The Plastic Projects.